This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm Alex Higley. And I'm Lindsay Hunter. And, and I'm, I'm a writer, writer but... Welcome to I'm a Writer, but today we have Simon Jacobs. Simon Jacobs is from Dayton, Ohio, and lives in Portland, Oregon. He is the author of the novel String Follow on MCD FSG out this year and Palaces on $2 Radio out in 2018 and of two collections of short fiction, Masterworks on InStar Books in 2019 and Saturn on Spork Press in 2016, a collection of David Bowie stories. His other fiction has appeared in Tin House, Black Warrior Review, Joyland, and Paper Darts. Welcome, Simon. Welcome. Thank you. I am so excited to talk with you both. It's a great team. Yeah, we were just talking about this as a like a little reunion because we all did an event together in April of 2018, right before like I was extremely pregnant, right before my daughter was born and right before Alex's daughter was born. That's right. Wow. Yeah. God. Wow. Yeah. Such a unique, a unique. Yeah. We were talking earlier, a very unique pleasure to get to like do a little mini tour for a book like you feel like a rock star even if there are only like three people in the audience I think there were more than three there though. were more than that for our, it was a our, good turnout it was volumes, a good turnout. the volumes event was far and away the most populated of all the events that i did for my independent press published literary fiction book see chicago comes through <laughs> yeah where else did you go uh so i did uh i did a uh did an event in columbus oh cool one in dayton i uh went to mission creek i love mission creek in iowa city that was a lot of fun that was really cool um where else oh and i went oh and i went to uh literati in ann arbor where it was yeah it was great it was uh football night oh god uh, university of michigan Oh so uh the audience for that one was uh my brother oh <laughs> i've i've been there before i i did a they had me do my book release at a bookstore out in naperville which is like pretty far from chicago mm-hmm. and not ac- accessible by um like cta i think you can get there by the metro uh-huh. but and they had a big sign out front with my name on it and everything and no one came 
And like, it was just me and my husband. And I think finally someone showed up and all he wanted to know was how he could get published. He was like, I don't give a shit about you. What is this stupid book? How can I get my work published? (laughs) How can you help me? I was like, yes, you can see it's very glamorous. I can see why you would like to do it. Oh my God. You know, those are the, those are the things that put hair on your chest, right? Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. That's why I have a hairy chest to this day. Hmm. (laughs) Speaking of that, um, Simon, will you please read to us? I would love to. Uh, This section doesn't directly talk about body hair that I recall, but um, you know, that's on you. I I might not remember. Yeah, I could I could find a relevant. Make it work. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, So I'm just going to read read from the opening uh, opening couple of pages here. The route to Sarah was easy, or should have been, because she spent a lot of time at Beth's house. And Beth had a spooky older brother named Greg, who was into serial killers and chokeholds and shit. So he had a lot of contact and had laid a lot of groundwork without knowing it well before our arrival. Like, he'd drift by Beth's bedroom where she and Sarah were hanging out and just linger in the doorway. And when Beth wasn't looking, he'd blink and show Sarah he'd painted a set of eyes on the back of his eyelids, or he would pull up his sleeve to reveal the patterns he'd cut into his arm, or would be mumbling what sounded like occult prayers when the three of them got into his car in the morning on the way to school. There was no consistency to it whatsoever. The idea was basically to project that there was some secret regimen of behaviors that Greg adhered to out of spiritual or small group obligation. And for a kid who mostly just hid in his room, consuming fringy internet era media and coming up with ways to alienate people slash himself, this was a pretty easy thing to do. Greg didn't have the context for this at the time, of course. He was just being himself and his behavior was just that teen routine. But in retrospect, After the fact, these were the shapes it had that we gave it. Sarah took note. It was practically ingrained in her. She was carefree with her attention and love and only had to hear about someone's misfortune or depression before she hurled herself wholeheartedly into it. Her passion and talent was for being there, that's capitalized, until whatever problem became hers as well, impressively hers, so bone deep ran this empathy. She was the sort of person to whom, no matter how well you knew her, you could express the slightest sadness or upset, and she would commit hours to talking it through with you. Her time and warmth and attention would pool up around you until the problem had disintegrated within it. To those who liked her, Sarah was a girl of boundless enthusiasm and an open heart, a book that wanted to be read. To those who didn't, she was a dilettante, a passionate fool. She had brown hair that curled more the longer it got and was a beautiful soul. She seemed like the kind of girl who could be convinced to join a cult. She fell for it, of course. She started by asking Beth, whom we hadn't gotten to yet either. And while Beth agreed that Greg was weird, as she always had, it was in a sisterly way and thus wasn't systematized. Sarah bounced from person to person in this manner until she talked to Claire, who herself was an agent of the dark and had, truth be told, her own separate agenda that was as yet unconnected to ours. Yeah, Claire said, skimming her eyes over the long line of cars waiting waiting to exit the parking lot. It was second lunch period when sophomores and juniors ate, and they were outside Adina High. 
The unlikely bond between the two of them had formed over a shared and wicked love of mid-2000s pop punk, which Sarah had developed before they were friendly, but after she had learned of Claire's interest in such music. So she was genuinely passionate about it, but the passion had a larger goal. Anyway, Claire said, do you know anything about Half Blessed? I think I've heard the name, Sarah said, which was typically how she engaged with Claire's expansive cultural milieu. Claire, at present, had a shaggy Chelsea haircut that was dyed blue and wore a seasonal leather jacket whose pins changed daily, which lent her the kind of standoffish wisdom of someone who inhabits multiple eras. Had you asked Claire at this point, she wouldn't have called her and Sarah friends, exactly, nor would she have admitted that her love for pop punk, a genre she had never experienced in its contemporary moment, was anything but ironic. Is that like a band, Sarah said? I guess it was a band after the fact, but it's more of a belief system, Claire said. A belief system? Like some kind of religious thing? Claire shrugged. I mean, as much as you'd consider iconography religious, she used air quotes, you'd see plenty of inverted crosses and whatnot, but they're not exactly burning churches, not in this decade anyway. She paused and bit her lip, seeming to consider. I guess it's more of a society, is how they would put it, with some magical overtones. Basically, teenage Illuminati, but more social, like about ostracizing and status climbing, or like they'll squat your house and slaughter a pig in the living room, blind fires, stuff like that. Basically, it's just a clique, but with secret handshakes, sex pacts, and blood rituals to appeal to the high school crowd. Obviously, Claire had lost sight of her answer to Sarah's question long before the words had finished leaving her mouth, but the important thing was that she had created a context for Sarah's future inquiries. Half-Blessed was a group thing, stringent like a religion, but not a religion, and, disregarding the rest, had pegged it with a few terms Sarah could use to propel her investigation further, namely, sex pacts and blood rituals, and something called blind fires. Was Greg a part of it? Was that what made him act the way he did? After their lunch period ended at 12.52, Claire drifted off to trigonometry, which she called trigonometrics in the spirit of complication, pretty much having forgotten everything she'd said, while Sarah crossed the school's hypotenuse from the south to the west unit and climbed the stairs to her AP English class, where she embarked on further literary analysis and, similarly, traced dense passages of text for their older meanings. Coincidentally, for different reasons, during that same period, Beth's older brother, Greg, spread a wide swath of his own blood across the stall door in one of the first floor men's bathrooms. If one was dedicated to the cause, they could have found some geometry in it, or geometricates, as Claire might say, that the bathroom, the very stall, was directly one floor below the seat in English where Sarah sat. But no one was making those connections at this point. And that's where I'll leave it. I kept thinking of John Darnielle as I was reading. Um, I Because I read uh, Devil's House um, not too long ago. That's what it's called, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, and it had that same, like, uh, like, that same eeriness that, like, you're being told what's happening, but there's also something that just feels slightly out of the frame that you feel chased by, you feel, <laughs> like, menaced by. Um and then, of course, I was thinking of It Follows and, you know, maybe because the word follows in the title, but also because <laughs> because of, you know, their ages and um, and just this like sort of like misunderstood um, or ill understood 
you know, thing that's happening. Um, yeah. And, and I don't know, I, I just had to say those things. Cause I just feel like that is like the shit I love, you know, like I <laughs> am in <laughs> and I just want to know how you captured, how you captured this, like the voice, first of all, and like how you were able to like use just the right amount of subtlety. Yeah, that's it. I love those two comparisons because I feel like there, yeah, there's definitely a lot of it follows in string follow, not just, not just in the name. Yes. Um, <laughs> and uh, I feel like, and like John Darnell too, like I, uh, you know, I love, I love his books and he like universal, like, I don't know. Have you read universal harvester? No, that was the only one I've ever read by him. Yeah. Okay. Well, if you liked, if you like devil house, uh, his other, his other novels are great. Uh, Wolf and white van and uh universal harvester. And he has such a, like, just like a, you know, precise and exacting way of like, of writing and like, especially like writing about the, like the Midwest, like the rural Midwest in mm-hmm. Universal Harvester. It's, it's just like very good. Um, but uh, I guess to actually answer, to answer your question, um, I feel like um, for me, this, this book and like most of my writing is very like tone driven. Like mm-hmm. I feel like most of my longer projects have sort of emerged from like a tone that I wanted to capture. Mm-hmm. Um, and like in this, in this book, like I think the the very first, so I just read like the opening and that was pretty much like the first thing that I, that I wrote. Um, oh, wow. So, and it, and it remained more or less like as it, as it was written, like all the way through the process. Mm. Wow. Um, like the first, the first line of it was originally, uh, what is it? The, the first line was originally, Sarah seemed like the girl, the kind of girl who could be convinced to join a cult. Like that was the first, that was the first line that I wrote. And then I felt like that sort of like set a very specific tone mm-hmm. where it's like sort of, sort of sly, kind of very self, like self-aware, like close, you know, like very closely observed, but also like self-aware. So I was like, you know, I kind of got to this weird tone and I was like, okay, this is a space I'm really interested in exploring. Like, you know, and what if like, you know, this, uh, like, what if like the, what if this book like that had uh, kind of horror elements, like what if like the most horrific thing about this book was like the, you know, the mysterious narrator and the kind of very perspective from which the book is, mm-hmm. is kind of written. And so, you know, like, uh, I feel like my, my writing and drafting of the book was in just like, sort of like trying to explore that tone mm-hmm. and like find find out like who that was mm-hmm. that's narrating the book and then that sort of ended up as like then the character's journey into you know into kind of realizing that as well um and you know I feel like that is definitely that like that definitely ties back to like John Darnielle's work, which is so much about, you know, not just Devil House, but like his other work too is 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 really about like different like narrative, you know, different kind of narrative frames mm-hmm. and like, you know, people's kind of your perspectives filtered through other media and like, you know, who's telling the story and like what's their um 
you know, what's, you know, kind of what's their, what's their angle and, mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that. And then, you know, a movie like in follow, like it follows, it's sort of, that also has like kind of a, an unnameable presence that is perpetually, you know, seeking the, you know, the, the kids in that movie. And, you know, in, in a lot of ways, like, it's like the director's camera that is mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. that is pursuing them right so so it's a similar it's it's a really similar kind of narrative frame i think for sure do you what? typically draft sequentially simon or was this kind of a unique experience for a longer project for you uh it it it's been different every time this one was this one was pretty much all sequential um in its initial draft um but like so yeah it was like a I wrote it initially like the first draft I think was complete which I'm putting in in air quotes here like I thought it was done for the first time um in like I don't know in like 2017 and it was a much like tighter like now the book is like 400 pages long but like when it was when I first thought I was done with it it was like this very tight like 50,000 word thing that mm-hmm. I wrote, you know, kind of in a rush. And then over time, over the next four years, it, uh, it gradually kind of expanded from the, from the middle. So it was like all kind of sequentially written and then it, then it blew out from there. <laughs> How did you keep yourself like going back to it over those four years? Uh, well, it was it yeah, it's had a lot of phases of its life. Like I think um hmm. so I think I started like let's see, I finished it. This is a this is an interesting question to answer. I'm because I'm like trying I'm like putting all the time in my mind, I'm like putting all this time stamps together. So I think they're fundamental, like I, I finished it and I didn't, and then I I finished it for the first time. I had some like, you know, close friends and family read it and then like did some revision and it got a little longer. And then I was like, okay, this book is a masterpiece. So (laughs) I'm going to start sending it. I'm going to start sending it to agents. So I did that, uh, which, you know, was hellish because Mm -hmm. that's what, that's how it goes. So I sent it to, I don't know, 40, 50 80 agents I don't remember I haven't looked at my horrible spreadsheet in a long time but um I ended up sending it I sent it to uh uh the the Clegg agency um mm-hmm. and uh which is uh Bill Clegg who's current who, who who's now my agent and so you know I just sent it uh to their inbox because that's what you what you do when you're querying agents and so, you know, they asked for the manuscript and then like six months later, I got like the most flattering and kind and generous rejection note that I've like ever, you know, that I've ever received. Whoa. And like, you know, basically saying like, you know, there were like some parts of this book that I loved and others where I just sort of like did not follow what was happening like <laughs> got where it got away from me and somehow it ended up uh somehow bill like in that email somehow magically pinpointed 
the things that I was proudest of in the books and also my areas of deepest insecurity. And, uh, and I was like, wow, like, this is a, this is a game changer, but he was like, you know, like, sorry, I, (laughs) it's not quite right for me, but like, you know, if you ever consider revising along, you know, the lines of, you know, what I propose, like, I'll be happy to look at it again. And so I was like, you bet I will like so so I went back you know went back to the drawing board and like uh you know as I started pulling at the the middle of the book and giving it more of a you know really working on like the back third where you know I think in its original draft it sort of disappeared into its own asshole to use a delicate (laughs) metaphor um and sort of making it uh you know working a little 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 harder to like let the you know, let the reader in and give it some more breathing space, let the characters develop and stuff before it, you know, rushes headlong to its, you know, chaotic conclusion or whatever. And so, you know, I did that over six or eight months and then, um, you know, sent it, sent it back to, to Bill. And then, you know, a few months after, or I don't know, six months after that, uh, he, you know, offered to represent it. Wow. Which was amazing. And then I embarked on another, like to get it ready, embarked on another uh like prolonged set of like <laughs> back and forths. Um how so long was, was really how long was that process with between you and Bill? Uh let's see. I think so I remember meeting I remember meeting with Bill and his and his team in like May of 2019 and then I was revising the book back and forth probably like four or five more drafts with his team until it went out on submission which was end of february 2020 oh my god oh god so so right up right up till till the end times there um (laughs) and then you know ultimately it was uh picked up by mcd fsg in uh august of, of 2020 so there there was a good there was a while there when i think the publishing industry wasn't really sure that it was going to exist you know, mm-hmm. the following mm-hmm. year or whatever. Um, but yeah, so it was like, uh, yeah, it was like, it was like probably uh, six or six or eight, eight months after that. So wow. yeah, every time I revised it, I feel like the, the the whole process of of making this book, I feel like has been like gra- gradually like expanding its canvas. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like I'm, you know, I, I started when I started writing creatively, I was doing like, you know, all of this like super short fiction and stuff like that, you know, like, like kind of flash fiction and really short stories and, you know, um, these, yeah, the four, the formats, which you both are, you know, the masters ultimately, well, learning, Aww. learning, cribbing a lot from, from, you know, from, from your work. And so I feel like for me, it was like really, uh yeah it was, like I I struggle to like let the reader in because I'm used to like doing everything in like an, an extremely constrained canvas 
so and like you know being weird for you know weirdness's sake and, you know <laughs> all that stuff so I was just like it took me a while to like as I've had more people like reading the book and like kind of weighing in on it I think it helped kind of crack the book open and you know take it from being like a kind of this like relentlessly dark like slog to something that you know is more has more of like a history to it it has more more empathy for its you know more profound empathy for to for its characters and just like you know gives gives the reader a little bit a little bit more a little bit less less bleak than it probably was and when i first first finished it that way of revising that 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 experience you had with bill or someone on his team or combination of the two where someone went in and, and really kind of opened the book up and you kind of had to, you know, whether it be, you know, structurally kind of break it apart or on a more granular level, you know, within characters or, or both that I feel like is easier revising than smaller, more vague, directions i had an experience similar very similar to your assignment actually editorially with uh my agent going back and forth before before submitting this last book and i it, the book just it was it was closed off in a way that i think is similar to what you were describing where it, it almost feels like it was like the end point of like an insular kind of project and then the edits that I received and that I that I gladly took o- opened it up in a way that obviously is related to page count as it was for you, but also just it it literally let people into the story. And I mm-hmm. think that is mm-hmm. a serious uh, step of learning within writing because I think that there are people who, and I'm I'm one of these people are so resistant to letting other people in, in a way to really crack, to get to that next level. But I, for me personally, and it sounds like possibly for you, it was totally essential for me for making this last book work. I think that's not a question. Sorry. No, I, I I think that's something I definitely struggle with. And um, yeah. And it's really hard to let go. For me anyway, it's really hard to like, try to find those places where, I mean, I guess that's why we need editors and agents, right? Cause they can see it better than we can sometimes. Yes. And yeah. F- yeah. Well, I almost wonder, like for me, it, it was just so valuable to have like people's, uh, like to have just like the input of, of other people who I feel like, who I felt like understood what I was trying to do in the book. Mm-hmm. And that just felt it, you know, it felt really unique and revelatory to me. And in a way that was really surprising. And it's made me and one, it kind of made me think about like, I never, like, I never took creative writing courses or anything like that. Like, I've never really like workshopped, you know, uh, like workshopped a piece of writing, you know, up until this point or anything, or like, really, like, had a draft, you know, get a lot of meaningful you know meaningful feedback from other other readers so i feel like it was like you know i, I don't know maybe for 
it's interesting that you both have like, you know, I've had similar experiences, um, but I never, you know, I hadn't really had that like kind of work. I don't know. Yeah. That, that like kind of ex that like peer review, <laughs> you know, that, that like kind of feedback before. So it was like, really, I don't know. It was just, it was really cool. And I wonder if that's because of like, I don't know the way that my writing journey has taken place where I've just been like writing things for myself and publishing them on the internet, you know, <laughs> largely, but this which, point. you know, like all of us started like that in some way or another. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I'm just thinking like the, the last novel that I tried to sell that failed. Um, one of the editors I talked to, I think struggled to put that very thing that you're talking about into words. It was more like, like, I think we need more plot or I don't know, but I think mm -hmm. what she was saying was like, you know, give the readers a reason why, you know, <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. It's, 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 it's fucking hard. About. Like, it is. I don't yeah. know, like, I guess like Lindsay, when I like first started reading your work, I was like, so I was looking through don't kiss me uh, today. Cause I was trying to remember like, what was the first Lindsay Hunter story that I read? Mm -hmm. And I think it was candles. Uh, oh yeah from uh which which i was published in pank magazine yeah oh yeah where you know i read a lot of you know yes. read a lot of stuff when i started reading like short fiction and stuff and i do wonder i don't know maybe like did you start like Lindsay, when you started writing was it like did you start like with the super short fiction or like you no, know i i thought i was gonna well first of all i thought i was a poet and then i got rejected um, by all the grad schools as a poet so i was like i guess i'm not a poet <laughs> i just have no grad school backbone <laughs> i have no backbone but um no and then i started writing like novels i started trying to write novels and um you know they were disasters and boring and um <laughs> but then when i really started like when I, things really started opening up for me was when I started writing flash fiction. That was when I really mm -hmm. felt like mm -hmm. there was space for me. And like, I had, you know, like things to say and show people. And like, there were these stories that I literally couldn't stop. They were just like flying out of me. Um, so I think that was like when I first like took ownership. So I guess mm -hmm. maybe that's, I guess that could be like my origin story, but I, I definitely, <laughs> it was like a process getting to that. Because I kept trying to be what I thought a writer looked like. And that wasn't mm -hmm. what I knew of as a writer. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, my point, I, my point doesn't work. I was going to, I was going to propose my a theory that. No, just do it anyway. Uh, my, th you know, my theory, which I, you know, my, my theory being like, well, you know, it's like, if you start writing like short fiction again, you know, you're like operating under these like constraints and totally. Like, yeah. So you're trying to deliver you know things in a really condensed format and you're like i don't need to really i don't need to tell you what this character is thinking like that's obvious from like what they're doing or that's obvious from like the narrative frame that i'm using or like the tone you know kind of the tone yes. yeah all this stuff and you know but then you know when it comes to writing a you know ninety thousand word novel well, it's so like, different. Okay, it's I guess i do need to <laughs> explain yeah yeah and no and i think your point still stands because i was I was more comfortable doing flash fiction when I, when I started writing not a novel. Um, and I was, you know, and I still, I still use like those techniques as I'm writing. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. I'm sure to my detriment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, your novels give are amazing. Give me a break. Yeah, give me oh, a thank break. You. Simon, you mentioned you show drafts to your family. Who in your family reads for oh, you? Oh, yeah. 
so my my mom is uh, oh my uh is also a, a novelist what? so i've learned all my tricks and schemes i didn't know that that's amazing what is her name yeah, her i want to get her books yeah martha moody martha moody come on how the hell did i not know that that's awesome great great name uh, but yeah, so she she writes um, like she writes really like really incite like really incisive like literary fiction, often set in the. I think all of her books are pretty much set in the in the Midwest. But um, I feel like you know she she published her first novel in like I think two thousand or two thousand one. So that would her, that would be best her, friends yeah there you go yeah mm -hmm. um so you know her writing practice was like a big you know a big part of my of my like you know growing up and like as I so I didn't really understand it then I like remember going to her like book launch at uh, the books and company in Dayton when uh you know when I was like nine years old or ten oh, years man. old or whatever and um you know so I didn't I like I didn't really appreciate it that much growing up but like as I've uh as I've like gone to those books as a you know as as an adult and like you know read her fiction again I'm just like you know it's it's really it, it's just like very like her style is very very sharp and unforgiving and pointed and it's just oh, it's really good and she you know like her, the the piece of advice that she, so she, a she's a very she's a very good reader because she knows me, um, and then you know she often knows like what I'm trying to do, and so she gives really great you know she always gives really great advice and I had many like really, uh, many many, uh, many really fun conversations with her about string follow. And then when she finally, you know, when she read it, when it was published, she was like, Simon, this is almost like too intense for me to read. And oh my like, God. Wow. <laughs> she was like, I have to read like only a few pages at a time. And I was like, yes. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> oh my I, Lord. I used to work at Barnes and Noble back in 2000 and 2001. Uh, all the way up through 2003, and I remember shelving best friends. Oh, holy shit! Yeah. That's amazing. That, that is that is that is I, crazy. I'm gonna get it. It's a, it was on Riverhead. I'm gonna get a copy mm -hmm. of it and read it, and then Martha oh, yeah. should come it's, on. It's really good. That's a good. It's like a. So that was her first one. It's like big, and it's like starts as like a college novel, and then it's like it's just about this big sprawly like messy, uh, friendship, and it's so good. That and like my awesome. mom, like she, so she's right. She's also a, a physician. And so she, like her books have like real good, like doctor content. Ooh, <laughs> love that. She's really good. And she was like, you know, when she first started practicing, it was like, uh, you know, in the, in like the mid late eighties, like in Ohio, sort of like through and into like, you know, peak kind of AIDS crisis. And mm -hmm. so that it's just like mm, it's just you get a lot there's just like a lot of like I, I don't know I'm just thinking about I'm just thinking about best friends now and I want to read that book again <laughs> as an adult because it's been it's been a long time and I'm just like Ooh. I can't wait I'm so excited oh, wow. this is, yeah, this is she stuff. must be so proud of you yeah my god <laughs> yeah 
yeah it's 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 really cool i feel really privileged to be able to like you know share um like share share writing not be embarrassed to like share writing with her and to have you know such a um such like a an articulate advocate you know for yeah. My, yeah. For my work that's like close to me um so yeah i i'm really i'm really lucky and the i think i could not uh could not uh go through a conversation about my mom being a writer without like talking about like her the with the her like common wisdom that her like writing wisdom which is uh that she always writes two paragraphs a day that's like wow. her wow her you know her approach and she did that you know through working full-time and you know raising four kids and you know she four always kids. managed to do her two paragraphs a day which is insane to me and I have no children I only have an anxious dog <laughs> so I have no I have no kids yet but I'm just like that that is just like fucking flabbergasting to it me is. <laughs> like that she like she yeah she wrote this like 500 page novel like I don't know while she was doing all this other shit like that's not like that was her job and like uh I don't know it's just it's just really cool and so she has set such a you know such an admirable uh like example for me and you know an intimidating one um and you know I I don't know yeah I really have her to thank for a lot of uh yeah a lot of uh a lot of my kind of writing life and practice I think that is so cool seem, that's amazing it seem normal that that's something a, a person can do is just like write stories and fiction and stuff it's very cool it's really cool my mom wrote my whole life too like she was always writing she was writing a children's novel and poetry and her mm -hmm. memoir and stuff like that and I always thought that was the coolest thing ever yeah it is it's an, it's incredible like I think just like I don't know I think what I've what I've appreciate come to appreciate as I've gotten older is just like yeah having like people like creative people in your family mm -hmm. or like at home is like so so valuable I think for you know as a kid growing up you know because you you kind of whether you're doing it intentionally or not you kind of foster that for your for your kids as well and it's like I don't know creative expression is just like such a useful and like healthy thing and if you grow up and you know your 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 parent isn't your your, your parent or your parents are involved in like creative you know creative work it's just I don't know I think that sets a really a really great like example for your kids I agree and I I hope it's true because I feel like one of my kids is going to be like Alex P Keaton or something <laughs> just be like money you know money 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 <laughs> is there a particular writer that you and your mom both love or that like you guys kind of came together on as far as when you were maybe in you know more of your formative years Simon where you were like mm. oh shit mom like mom turned me on to whoever and that really I mean obviously you knew she was a writer but was there something like taste wise or that that really like kind of brought you guys close as far as creatively yeah I feel like most of my formative reading experiences when I was like a teenager 
were from, you know, books in my parents' basement that, like, my mom had read in, like, the set either growing up or in, like, the 70s, you know, in gr growing up or, like, in college, um, you know, that I then kind of glommed onto. So she, like, I feel like the one that's jumping to mind, which I feel like I definitely, when I, so the first, the one that's jumping to mind is Mario Vargas Llosa. Hmm. who's uh like a peruvian um is he peruvian or is he Chilean? It's peruvian uh uh you know kind of political novelist and like i definitely i started reading his books when i was like a teenager i definitely did not understand them at all but like he you know he's right he writes these yeah very dense like political novels about like you know latin and south american politics and like dictators and like you know uh kind of revolutionary concepts <laughs> and stuff and i was just like i think i was just like really like impressed and kind of in, impressed by the books without like really understanding them at like a macro level like i read them you know i read i absorbed them all and like would read them in like broad terms but didn't really understand any of the any of the um you know any of the politics or or anything like that but sure. i was just like sort of following in my mom's like footsteps and you know her i still haven't read read her favorite of his books which is this like giant stream of consciousness uh book called conversation in the cathedral which is like mm. about like two guys having a long conversation in a bar and uh, I haven't gotten to that one yet, but wow. one day. That's awesome. But like, yeah, a lot of formative, a lot of formative stuff kind of came via her and just me like, you know, coming up from the basement one day, like with some like very large book from the 70s <laughs> being like, all right, I'm going to read this next. Like, what do you remember this one? <laughs> like, oh, <sort> of. <laughs> Did you feel like it was going to like show you something about her that you were curious about? Yeah, I, I I guess so. I think I just wanted kind of, I, I think I was interested in like a window into her experience, you know, into her experiences, like kind of growing, uh, you know, uh, um, yeah, like growing up and trying to, you know, trying, trying to emulate the kind of like really high level like <laughs> fiction that she was, uh, you know, that she was, that she was reading. Because I think mm -hmm. at the time, I think I was probably in the phase where like, I was comfortable like reading books that she had read, but felt significantly less comfortable reading books that she had written. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was like, cause I don't know, like there's a lot of like sex and violence and best friends. And, you know, when I was 14 or 15, the idea that my like mom was writing that and I, I could like read a book and there would be like, graphic sex but then also like the reference to a casserole that like she <laughs> made for us i was like oh this is a little like it's amazing i was like i know that i know that dish like uh, can't me. <laughs> yeah thankfully my my nine and a half year old who is a like fantastic reader he's like always reading he hasn't tried to read any of my stuff yet thank god <laughs> Because oh <laughs> I think he'll have a lot of questions. 
<laughs> I'm not ready yeah. to answer. <laughs> the speaking of that basement, it's funny because the I like <laughs> the, the 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 basement that features very prominently in String Follow mm-hmm. is mapped onto my parents' basement. It's not oh, the, wow. it's not my parents' house above, but it's the same like <laughs> like it's the same basement structure (laughs) was that purposeful or was it just like you think basement you think that basement i i think i think base like when i think of big basement i think Mm. that basement like Mm -hmm. you know yeah so and that well okay so two things so i think big basement i think that basement i like this un uh consciously or unconsciously when i was a kid my brothers and i put on a haunted house in Whoa. our basement. So we would have people uh <laughs> um we would have like neighbors and you know passersby um <laughs> come out into our basement where we would guide there they would walk through and we would just like jump out and try oh to try to scare them. And he has did the same thing. <laughs> oh really? Yes. That's amazing. Jack Jan that, that was a like, author of the grip of it went was our only customer (laughs) that's amazing yes but also like shame on your neighborhood i know like (laughs) going for that harder it's a that's a that was a real that's like one of my most formative childhood experiences is doing like an annual haunted house in our basement with my brother (laughs) and it's like you know when when my older brother like outgrew participating in the haunted house leaving my other brothers and i to have to do this very complex thing where one of us delayed people in one room of the haunted house. So the people who, so the brothers who had already jumped out at them in the previous room could <laughs> run around behind, reposition themselves later. In the oh my God. Later. <laughs> when my older brother stopped participating because of academics or whatever, and, <laughs> you know, left us all alone to, you know, have to fabricate haunting experiences by ourselves like that was a formative it's a formative moment you have photographs <laughs> of uh these haunted houses simon it's, no it's too too dark <laughs> literally and figuratively also, no you know i think the only photo it would have been like someone would have had to take like a disposable camera down into our haunted house and be like taking flash photos like as they were walking through which, would have, which it sounds really incredible now that i think about it and if Walk i get over to walgreens and, yeah, yeah if i ever like work that haunted house into a piece of fiction which feels just utterly inevitable um you know i feel like that would be someone bringing like a camera down into that would be uh very uh would be like a good a good like element to like interrupt that so anyway the i think the point i was trying to make with that digression was that it is the basement is like therefore associated with a haunted house oh yes <laughs> yes and so you know i'm like oh i don't set this like you know having a you know a resident that you you know unwanted resident down there that sounds fun one thing that is was just fun before you came on tonight was just looking at your your publication history because i had forgotten that masterworks came out in between palaces and string fall i i just spaced i just spaced it and when you were talking about the period of time when you were doing the revision for your agent i i thought 
just the way you're talking about it, it seemed like you know nothing was going to fucking stop you you were going to you were going to do this revision you were going to you were going to you know win bill over you had you saw you had an opportunity and you were going to grab it and i feel like that is it's kind of reflected in your publication history over the past couple of years that you just seem dogged in your in your pursuit of just getting your work out there and also just writing great books how how much has um the publication of palaces was that like a big turning point was was did you did you feel like you had a little bit of a fire under your ass after that like two dollar radio wow this is great and then it seems like you've just kind of gone on from there and done done such great work simon oh thank you that's so that's it's that's so kind of you to say um and i i think it's like i don't know i guess like as you know is you two being writers who have also you know published several books i feel like the process of like publishing a book is uh or like trying to say it feels like thinking about a book and whether you consider it as a writer to be a success feels like such a gradual and cumulative process to me mm -hmm. or that's how yes. it's felt in uh that's how it's felt for my books thus far so like when you know where i can like think back on like specific moments from each of these each of these books and gradually you know those add up to me being like okay like i'm happy with like you know i'm happy with this as a product and so i feel like there hasn't been like it, it it's yeah it's it's been a really cumulative experience like over you know like over time for me at least like there's you know there hasn't been it hasn't really felt like one one thing like unlocked the next necessarily. Right. I've tried to, you know, the way that I have found is like the healthiest relationship to me to have with my work is to just be like to try to divorce myself from the uh as much as I can uh from the kind of publishing and like uh sort of audience side i guess mm -hmm. like i don't know like i don't know i feel like i'm not doing a very good job of answering no no question. no I no <laughs> like the expectations that you think people might have on you or the expectations that i have like i think every book that i've published i've been like this is gonna be a hit and like <laughs> yes. none of my books have been a hit like but I've gotten to, you know, gradually I've gotten to a point of like acceptance with like each of them where I'm like, okay, like I've connected with enough readers that I feel like really got what I was doing that I'm like happy, like, okay, that book can go on the shelf and like on to the next one. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when Palaces was, I think when Palaces was first like accepted by $2 Radio, that was like, that was the most like exciting like book acceptance uh book acceptance part of my writing career thus far because that was the first and like two dollar radio was like the first i think the first press that i really knew as like an independent publisher and like i never really knew that that was like a thing until i discovered two dollar radio like i'd never really thought about what a publisher is or that you know big commercial publishers are different like than independent presses and stuff like that so 
I read, you know, I started reading $2 radio books when I was like, you know, uh, I don't know, 18 or 18 or 19. And so they were the first independent press that I discovered and they're based in Columbus and I'm from Dayton. So I was like, you know, it was really, really cool to like submit my book to them and then have it and then have them offer to publish it. Like that mm -hmm. was just like, yeah, it's amazing. And so I sort of like unlocked to me the, you know, the idea that it like publishing books was like feasible and then, you know, and then, then it just sort of gradually kind of progressed from there, I guess. But like, I, I guess I got kind of when I was like, I started submitting, you know, submitting and getting writing published when I was in when I was in college. So, you know, that was when I was started reading a lot of like you guys is fiction and like, you know, other um, like other fiction published on the internet and like, you know, Wigleaf and Tank and mm. Hobart and all those, um, all those places. And so I sort of got into the mindset that I could publish writing outside of like novels, like pretty early in, you know, my own writing journey. And so I think that that's made it like, um, that's made the whole journey a little bit more, a little bit less intimidating to me and made me like unafraid to just like, yeah, sure. I'll query like 80. Like, I mean, I don't know. I tried to get palaces represented. I've tried, you know, and I, I had, I'm sure I've had other novels. I can't even think of them right now that I tried to get, you know, represented by an agent or whatever. So it's just like, yeah, it's just been a really interesting and like kind of different experience every time I've like done a book. And now I'm like, you know, six months out from string follow having published, I'm like, I don't know, sort of thinking about the next book, but like, you know, only in like scraps and pieces. And so it'll be interesting to see like where, you know, what, what that's ultimately like when it, you know, when it takes shape, because I feel like it'll be, it'll be a, another unique experience. So I don't know. That was like, that was like very rambly and not. No, you know, no, that's exactly the kind of thing I wanted to hear. No, no, it, no, that, that was great. I want to know like what, what felt different publishing with MCD FSG versus, you know, $2 radio sport press, you know, like what, mm -hmm. what felt different? So if I can be honest, the biggest difference was the deadlines and that like that was really really hard for me like I think the book was uh much more heavily you know as I as I, I talked about the like long revision process you know with Bill and then with uh, MCD FSG uh earlier on and that was pretty you know that that was unique to this project um you know palaces you know I I went through an you know editing process with uh with Eric and with Eliza um, but it wasn't as uh, kind of fundamental to like mm -hmm. the nature of the, you know, right. the nature of the book. And so I had done so much work by the time that we sold the book to uh, MCD FSG. And then, you know, I was doing this like kind of prolonged editing process uh, uh, with Daphne, who's the, the editor there, who's, you know, uh, who's great. Um, and she had, you know, her, she and uh, Lydia Zoles, who's the assistant editor, had like, you know, again, like amazing, insightful, thoughtful feedback, um, but also, you know, but wanted, you know, big, 
things change, kind of thematic, you know, sort of the kind of like thematic and sort of, you know, larger scale changes that like take a lot of work to do. And, you know, they were, you know, working to keep to, you know, a publishing schedule that had been set. And so it was really, really like I had to revise, you know, I revised the book like, you know, three or four times with MCD or probably not maybe three, two, three times, I think. And it was like, it was hard, like, right. Like revising to a deadline was like really, really hard for me because Mm -hmm. having been through like kind of an independent publisher experience where, you know, the editing wasn't as intensive, um, you know, I'm used to, you know, and I'm just like writing on the side as like a hobby, like it's not my job. And so it was really it was really hard for me to hit those. And I like, it was really hard for me to hit those deadlines. And I, you know, was like, considered myself to be like, you know, very on top of it. Like I always want to hit my deadlines and I'd managed to hit them when I was revising the book with, with Bill, but it was like really hard for me to do so. Like with, you know, with, with a more kind of commercial publisher who were like more kind of rigor, you know, who were more rigorously tied to those timelines and I found it really, really hard and honestly, really draining. And it like, when that, when at first, like, I have some distance from it now. So I'm able to kind of look back and, you know, appreciate what I would have done differently if I was doing it again now. But I'm like such a perfectionist. And I was having to write like, I don't know, like new scenes and like new characters and stuff. And it was so hard for me to do it like on you know, a really tight deadline because I'm just used to everything like gradually building up over a period of years. And it's where I can really sit with my writing to make sure that it is conveying exactly what I want from it. Mm -hmm. And so to have to like write scenes, I don't know, I say writing scenes, like it's a big thing, but it is a really big thing. No, it is. Like to write like new sequences and stuff and then like turn them in after not be and not being able to give them my like customary you know eight <laughs> eight drafts worth of attention to make sure they're exactly like the way that I want them was very harrowing and I don't know I mean like this is all like it's a privilege for me to be able to complain like this right like because it's like I don't know like I had a book published by a you know by big commercial press mm-hmm. but it was like yeah, it was just, it was hard for me to, to write on, you know, to write on deadline like that. And I was like, I, like, it really came at, it, it, it really, I, it, it really took a lot out of me and it took me a long, you know, a long time after the book published to be able to feel like I could start thinking kind of like creatively about other projects again, just because I was like, really just like exhausted by the experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So that was the biggest difference, I think, was just like writing under deadline. So, you know, next time I write a book, I'm going to be good and, good and ready before I can go into the publishing. <laughs> there will be no edits. None. <laughs> stet, stet, stet. My, my treatise. <laughs> coming at you. Do you know what your next project is about? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Like, I, I think I've only in the last like couple of months would I say that I'm like, sort of able to say that like I think this next project it's also going to be about uh Midwestern kids 
but this is uh like i think it'll be it's about it'll it's about a group of kids who um go off in search of a missing kid who may not actually have gone missing and so love of, that you know, i'm in yeah more detective <laughs> oh, awesome. detective <laughs> i love that well simon thank you so much for coming on this was a blast thank you this was a lot of fun and everybody should read string follow mona awad says it's a work of evil genius that put me in a literal trance and didn't relinquish me until the final page like the irresistibly wise dark and unfathomable force it conjures conjures the voice got in my head and tainted my soul i loved every insidious second so trust us and trust mona awad there you go trust mona awad (laughs) words to live by Thank you again, Simon. We will see you on the inner on the interwebs. Thank you both so much. Yeah. See you on the interwebs. <laughs> see you, Simon. Bye. <laughs> Take care. I thought that was really good. That's one of my favorite episodes. He was giving articulate, well-reasoned answers that were wonderful to hear. They were nourishing, nourishing to me. Yeah. I like uh, when they just talk. That's what we want. That's what the people want. Truly. I mean, yes. You know, I, in his experience, I think is inspiring, but also um, a very good barometer of how hard you have to work. Yes. Which both things are important. Yes, absolutely. And it's like personal work. It's like, that's, you know. Yeah. String Follow is the only book that I have been sent by a friend that I have passed on to my agent. I think that's, it's, you know, not that I get hundreds of these, <laughs> but, you know, over the years, I've definitely had people reach out and say, hey, can you send this along to your agent or whatever? And yeah, same. This is this is the only one that I did. Because it's... I always feel so bad in those situations because I'm like, I have no power. I have no power. <laughs> oh, no, none at all. And also, I've, <clears throat> I've, I always have just told myself, uh, I'm not going to do it unless I genuinely think it's great work. Yes. And this is great work. String follow is great work. I, I'm really glad that Simon read the opening because that's enough to get you in. <laughs> I mean, oh, you said yeah. it. It's, uh, it's, in a, and he's a very good reader as we know, cause we've done a reading with him. Um, he's a very intense reader. Um, I remember he like had a stance. Do you remember this? He was like standing in a way where I was just like, oh, he means business. Like, this is great. <laughs> yeah. I always love when people just like own their space, take up space. Yes. I love that. He was owning his space. Absolutely. Yes. This book came out in February. Um, yeah but no it's and i think it's actually perfect as we're heading into fall it's like the perfect read for fall like i always want to yes. read spooky books in the fall yeah, absolutely and this one is definitely spooky okay alex yes do you want to talk about that you have a new novel coming out on coffee house press sure i mean it's been weird not talking about it for how long past... have you known uh, we have known for what six months? 
Oh my God. Seven months, six or seven months. And uh, yeah, it's wild. You got to so, tell the story of how it all happened. Oh my God. Uh, so you mean like this, when we were like the submission, the whole thing, the whole thing, people oh want to know. Oh God. So we were this, oh my God. So third round of submission, um, coffee house was on the list. We, I probably would have sent their first round, honestly, if I thought that Monica thought that they would be interested. Mm-hmm. It never crossed my mind that Coffee House would be interested mm-hmm. in the book. Mm-hmm. Even though it's a I mean, not that they publish only Midwestern things, of course, just the opposite. But um I love Coffee House in the distance is a, a favorite of mine. So good. Um, temporary. You know, temporary Gabe's book. Mm-hmm. Um I'm a big coffee house fan and just never occurred to me that they'd be interested. I thought, nah, I mean, they published so few books and whatever. And the submission process for my book, which is called true failure um, was so just, it fucked me up big time. The, we had a, we had a close call on the first round. um, And the editor said, if this were a few years ago, I would take this book and edit it with you. And I know that I could convince my boss that we could publish it. It was a, it was a bigger place. And he goes, but I just don't have time anymore. And I remember thinking, Oh God, damn, like that's yeah. as close as we're going to get. Yeah. And then second round, nothing really. And then, so third round we sent to coffee house and uh, they took it and it was just shocking. It was shocking the whole way through. I, you, FaceTime me. Yeah. Like I, I got a text from my, I had dropped my daughter off at school. I was driving back and of course I don't text and drive people. Uh, but <laughs> I got a text from my agent that coffee house wanted to set up a, uh, meeting and I dropped my phone. And <laughs> then when I picked it up, I FaceTimed you while driving <laughs> with a kid in the back. Hope DCFS doesn't come get me. And um, yeah, I think I was basically just crying. I screamed. Uh, I was screaming and it scared my daughter. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, I call. Yeah, it was just insane. So yeah, it's uh, it's been really strange to not like talk about it on here or you know, make it public. I've obviously told friends you've known since the second I knew. Um, but I, it's exactly where I want to be publishing and I feel so lucky. Yeah. They're so lucky. And, (laughs) um, I mean, I just feel like it's gonna like blow, blow people's minds. (laughs) Like we'll see the marriage in the book and like, the way that you are so good at like closing in and opening up. Um, I don't know. There's no one, there's no one out there like Alex Higley people. Okay. Oh, so like, man. just get ready. <laughs> I cannot wait for this fucking book to come out. It is going to be a big celebration and yeah. it, you know, people know, I mean, kind of why we even started this podcast to to begin with was we were really <laughs> struggling. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. <laughs> we were struggling, man. Yeah. And um 
the fact that we both now have can say that we have books coming out is yeah it feels incredible. good it yeah feels it feels really good. good i because i completely had given up hope yeah and i you know so many people we have talked to on here who have had books on submission during the pandemic you know which is still happening yes <laughs> it's just like it's been particularly brutal for people i feel like and it's getting i don't know i just feel like a lot of people that should be hearing yeses are hearing no's mm -hmm. and uh so I don't take any of this for granted for sure. But it also is, goes to show like what a lot of people, like you said, you know, have gone through, which is like, sometimes there's just no, no, no. And then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, of course, obviously, you know, and it's like, well, right. where were you, you right. know, six, eight months ago, a year ago, two years ago when I was dying out here, you know? Right. And that, that, that was exactly my experience and your experience too. I think I can say safely. And it's like, with I'm saying with the most recent one, but it's just like the, even now just to be reminded of that is, is important because mm -hmm. God, it really does. It, it is, it is no all the way up until it is. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> it sounds so stupid, but it's just like, it's, it's impossible until it's not. And yeah. I don't know. And it's really weird. Cause like you have to like your agent, your agent will level with you, you know, yeah. like your agent's not going to go out if they don't think it's not going to sell. Right. And so it's like a real, like, just like weird mind trick you have to plan yourself of like, I have to trust my agent, even though the mm -hmm. market or whatever saying no, you know. And I will say she was confident the whole time. Monica. Yeah, Monica's great. She's the best. But um, she was like, like she never acted, she wasn't surprised. And I was like, Jesus, I don't know. I mean, that's why she's the agent. Yeah. My agent was telling me like these editors reject an insane number of manuscripts a day, you know, like mm -hmm. they're, they're reading fast. Everything is fast. You know, like mm -hmm. he's like, they're just in the business of saying, no, that's their main business. And in a weird way that was comforting, you know, cause it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm in the stack, you know, right. <laughs> like I, I, I gotta, I gotta be a little bit more on my game or just wait it out or, you know, I mean, what happened with Roxanne was so weird because she took a novel I hadn't shown even my agent. Right. Um, so it's just weird shit. It's just weird. You just have to like stay and keep staying and keep working. And to bring it back to Simon, like I was, you know, I hope I touched on that enough. He, he just like never stops. He is constantly working right and maybe it's from watching his mom you know but like yeah. he's always got something always got right. something on the, on the burner and i mean a lot of people well, i don't know if, i don't know if i'll say a lot of people but i know that some people absolutely would be faced with that email from bill clegg i didn't know it was pronounced clegg i thought it was clegg so that was i've said clegg the whole time too yeah whoops yeah anyway they would be faced with that email and it would be too daunting to actually meet the challenge. Uh, I'm positive that there are people out there who would not be able to actually rise to the occasion and totally. get the edit done. Or and, and I mean, that to me was the part of the story that I found so moving was Simon was just like challenge yep, accepted. Exactly. It's just like, okay, I'm going to do this because I mean, that's really the only, you know, Simon is a very talented writer. He's obviously, but 
talent isn't the reason why he's published these great books. I mean, it's because he's worked his fucking ass off. And even when it was hard, even when it was hard, I mean, there's so many talented people that we went to school with. There's so many talented people that we know amazing writers who don't publish and Mm -hmm. it's really a different thing. And part of it being a different thing is this, this input from editors, agents, whoever it may be, standing in the way or allowing you to to move forward in your work however you want to view it it's 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 a real hurdle yeah uh, so i'm i'm just so impressed by simon's work ethic to be honest and mcd fsg i mean like that's yeah i mean jesus christ an awesome place to land and perfect for him i feel like yes. his work has that kind of hybrid genre qualities in a way but is also so definitely literary fiction mm-hmm. but it like on the edges, it opens out into other things in the same way that the stuff they publish does. So it's, yep. I think it's a really great spot for them. Yep. String follow. String follow. Yep. Yeah. Well, I think, I think we did it. We did it. Um, I'm, I can't wait to pre-order true failure. <laughs> you know, we'll be dropping that link as soon as we can. Uh, and I'll crazy. talk to you later. All right. But yeah. I'm a Writer Butt is recorded by Alex Hickley and me, Lindsay Hunter, in our respective basements. Editing by Lindsay Hunter. Music by Max Loop. Yeah, yeah.